Driving? No purchase necessary. You're listening to Radio Free Urban. Welcome to Radio Free Urbanism, a podcast where we talk about urbanism and stuff. I am your host, Alex, and I'm joined by other hosts, Nick and Ethan. Say hi, guys. Hello. What's going on? Excellent. So today is the first episode. So if you're new to the show and you're noticing that there are other episodes out, listen to those ones. Don't like never listen to the first episode of a podcast as your first episode unless that is the only one available. But if that is the only one available, thanks for being here for the premiere show. This is going to be a weekly podcast, a little bit casual, talk about stories, news, urbanism, how to get involved, and all that good stuff. So if we want to go around the horn and introduce ourselves, we'll start with Nick. Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Nick Laporte, and I'm just simply somebody who's interested in urbanism. I created a YouTube channel quite a while ago. It's been like four years has nothing to do with urbanism. It gained some success and I decided to change my directions and I've started a new YouTube channel. It's called Nick Laporte and I talk about micromobility, scooters, bicycles, etc. Love it. Ethan? So I'm Ethan. You may, you may also know me as Climate and Transit. I got my start on TikTok earlier this year. Kind of grew there and started off with short form content earlier this year talking about sustainability and transit and solutions to make our cities a bit more livable and a better place. And over through the year, I've grown onto Instagram, I've grown onto YouTube, and I've really expanded my content there. I'm not a trained urbanist in any sort of way. My entire background is in environmental science, but it's awesome to talk about this subject. It's awesome that you guys listen to this stuff and we can't wait to talk about urbanism with you guys. Amen to that. You have probably, if you have any friends who are into urbanism, you have probably seen one of Ethan's reels or TikToks. I know I've sent like probably hundreds of them to friends and family and they're like, who is this guy? And then when I said, oh yeah, this is going to be my new co-host. They said, oh yeah, I think I recognize that guy. And Nick's got great videos. He dives really into depth on the particulars of micromobility. As far as myself, I'm Alex Williams. I have made many podcasts before, never in video format. So this is kind of interesting if you're watching this on YouTube. I'm not used to being on camera, but I do make uh, YouTube videos as well on my Humane Cities YouTube channel, which is a lot of fun where I talk about building cities for everybody. So I do a lot of on the ground, feet first kind of perspectives uh, of cities and and how we build them. So. With that, we're going to get into our first kind of item on our agenda here, and that is with Ethan. Ethan's got a few railway things to bring up with us. So, yeah, guys, um, I don't know. Not everybody is fully into the, you know, foamer rail news. Foamers are people who love to just like train spot. But I know even people who are into urbanism don't normally pay attention to, you know, train news, and it can be kind of hard to find a lot of it all the time. Um, but recently, a couple days ago, in the US, I know we have a couple of Canadians here. Um, I don't think we even announced where we were living. Um, I, I don't know if doxing is what we want we'll to necessarily <laughs> do right now. But I, yeah, I'm the only American on this show. They're not holding me here hostage, trust me. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, there was a whole bunch of rail funding that just passed a couple days ago from the federal government. 
And some of the big projects that got funded were some of the obvious ones you may think about. So Brightline West got a whole bunch of money, about $3 billion to run rail service between Las Vegas and Rancho Cucamonga, where it, it, it's, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's in the Inland Empire, um, if you know what that is. So it's just east of Los Angeles. And also California High Speed Rail just got a few billion dollars for some of their funding to do some construction for that project. So that's really exciting. But the main winners of this project in terms of federal funding were the states of North Carolina and Ohio. They North Carolina got seven inner city routes funded somewhat by the federal government here, meaning that it could theoretically be one of the better states when it comes to inner city rail in North America. And I believe Ohio got a few funded themselves, not as many as North Carolina. And also there are some other Northeast Corridor projects that were funded as well, but it's going to be very exciting to see this kind of develop over time and just see where this federal funding goes to in the U.S., and see how this benefits intercity rail passenger service. As well, there was one other long-distance service that got federal funding. This will probably be the first project that really we see any of the fruits of this funding come from. And that is the Cardinal, which is Amtrak's route that runs from Chicago to New York City via um, essentially through southern Ohio and West Virginia. It got funded to run not just three round trips a week, but one round trip a day which is going to be huge. I actually took this a few, or I took this back in June. It's a very pretty route, but it definitely will be nice to see some of the the major cities on this route such as Indianapolis and Cincinnati finally get some daily service for the first time in a few decades. Yeah, it's I mean that's a lot and I think people often underestimate how much is actually going on because you don't like you said Ethan at the beginning there, you don't always hear about it. Uh, it's not necessarily broadcast, perhaps to the people in those areas that are being serviced. They might hear a little oh, yeah. bit more about it. But outside of that, uh, how does that how does that information get disseminated to everybody to maybe get excited about, oh, hey, there's this train going on in North Carolina, maybe my area. Why don't we do something, too? See, that's that's a huge problem we have with a lot of media, at least today is that like a lot of this is just local coverage. Like you're mm-hmm. not going to see this kind of, but I mean, it's kind of understandable. I mean, if you if you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you're getting extended service on your local line, I don't expect it to be covered somewhere else except in like some sort of rail service magazine or something like that. But right. it is exciting to see this grow. Oh, it's pretty incredible just to see, you know, it's a place with so much space. I was in that area not too long ago. And it's, it's crazy. Like it's, it's literally a desert in a lot of these places. So to be able to put those down is incredible. But the one thing I need to note is I didn't know Rancho Cucamonga was actually a real oh, place. Right. <laughs> I only knew it from a TV show called Workaholics. And I thought it was some made up place. So That's I'm so funny. Interested to know that it's actually real. Yeah. So are all of these stations going to be mostly park and rides or they're going to be in urban areas? So a lot of them are, since a lot of these routes are new, if we're talking specifically Brightline West, we're going to be looking at So I believe Brightline West is only going to have like three stations. It's going to be Rancho Cucamonga, which is Inland Empire for all my basically Los Angeles, but not really Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Um, There's going to be a station in Victor Valley, which is just over the the San Gabriel Mountains, kind of like the first area of California desert you run into. That one's going to be more of a park and ride from what I can tell. And then the Las Vegas station. And that one, I believe, is going to be pretty 
not as car dependent as you would think. I mean, obviously it's going to have parking to some degree because Las Vegas is a pretty car dependent city, but I think it's going to be a little less car dependent than we think because Brightline has been pretty invested in that last mile transit. Which is great to see. Yeah. Uh, mentioned as well, uh, I think this is maybe important perspective. So Brightline running through California to, to Vegas here, I think also Brightline has some rail in Florida. And yes. has that, do you know much about that, Ethan? Like, has it been so, a success? The, the funniest thing is that I, I used to live in Florida and now I live in Nevada. And I, I'm fairly familiar with both Brightline East and Brightline West. And Brightline West is looking at a much more ambitious project. They're going for a full-on kind of world standard high-speed rail, overhead electrified catenary, while Brightline East in Florida kind of runs along existing rail right-of-way owned by the Florida East Coast Railroad. So they're operating only at top speeds of 125 miles an hour. So it's not quite the same service, but the Florida service has seen some major success. It's one of the busiest rail corridors in the U.S. And just for clarification, it runs from Orlando to Miami through cities like Fort Lauderdale and um, West Palm Beach. And it's getting some extra stations on the line. They're helping boost um, regional rail service with Tri-Rail in South Florida to actually increase ridership. But um, the idea behind it really is that yeah, I mean, it's it's a successful service. I mean, it's it's up there with the Northeast Corridor. Not quite. It's not it's not quite near there, but it's ahead of the Surfliner and then below the Northeast Corridor in terms of ridership for the U.S. So it's it's top three. OK, excellent. And then another question I had for you, Ethan, can you put in perspective what three billion dollars is like? How far is that going to go to the project? Because. I mean, billions of dollars, you already can't understand it. But then also, if somebody was like, hey, Alex, uh, give me an estimate. How much would it cost you to build for me a high-speed rail from LA to Las Vegas? I'd be, I'd, I, I would have no idea where to start. Do you have any idea how far $3 billion goes? I'm going to be realistic here. This isn't money. Money stuff is just not my expertise. Um, yeah. It should get at least a decent amount because I mean, we'll see mostly because the right of way is running mostly through flat valleys. There are a few mountain passes, but we'll see how far that gets them monetary wise. That will at least go to constructing at least one or two stations and some trackage. And it obviously won't build the whole line, mm -hmm. but they Brightline West is being incredibly ambitious. They've said that they want to open before the 2028 summer Olympics in LA. Wow. Yeah, they are they are really really gunning to get this done. Like it is it yeah. is their main priority right now. And with That's Florida awesome. doing ambitious. well, they have more they have more support from both the states of California and Nevada. Right, cuz they kind of have like almost yeah. a proof of concept like, "Hey, we we can do this like as a company, right?" Yeah. And we can make this profitable. I, yeah, as a service in the U.S., we can do this. We can make this work. So, I mean, if they do it, I will be at those uh, summer games to, <laughs> just to ride the train. I, I don't need to go to any of the events, but <laughs> I, I'm going to ride that train. Be, LA is already going to be a very interesting transit city. We'll probably go more into them in the future, but they've been in as much as people like to rag on Los Angeles for how it does with transit. It's been getting pretty ambitious with transit building over the past 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Which is great to see. It uh, is. Nick, do you have any anything else to add to this uh, conversation? 
No, I wish I did because I love <laughs> trains, but I just ride them so seldom that unfortunately I don't get to think about them that often. Well, and that's part of the problem we've got, right? Is that it's just like, well, we don't, we don't have a ton of trains. It's the same, you know, I think about bike share and stuff. I was thinking about it all day today. All I thought about today was bike shares, but I've never used a bike share because well, I don't have access to one. <laughs> We'll get you there soon. Well, Don't soon, worry. Me there soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, there's there's this great saying among rail fans is that via ex, via rail exists to make Amtrak look good because there are problems <laughs> with via rail. Yeah. <laughs> that makes, like that baggage policy. On. Oh my god. Yeah. Anyways. Oh god. Yeah, I've ridden it far too many times to not want to ever ride via rail again in my younger years. <laughs> I want to ride via rail just because I've never ridden it. It doesn't even come through my uh, city. I live in Calgary, Canada, which oh. is, it's a, it's a major city. We've got 1.5 million people here, you know, like, but uh, yeah, no, uh, no regional rail to speak of, which just depresses me. Well, since you guys have talked about where you guys live, both in, uh, well, let's say, Alex, you live in a pretty car dependent city. Yeah. It has pretty good inf infrastructure, right? Yep. I know that as much, but it's, if you don't know, Calgary sits in the most conservative province in our country. <laughs> so typically that doesn't lend to the best urbanism, but at least Calgary is its own holdout within the province, right? Well, and I'll also add that although Alberta is the most conservative province in Canada, it would be one of the most progressive states in the U.S., like there is yeah, like, there's, fair. Let, let's not, let's not get confused. There's a big difference between Canadian conservatism and American conservatism. That's I mean, true. we, yeah, you absolutely. know, there's, there's variety of all, all Granted, over the place, but. We are starting to see Canadian conservatives kind of inch into that, but. Let's not get into that. We'll get into that later once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just um, for my American viewers, um, or for the American viewers out there, since they'll probably make up a majority of the audience, mm -hmm. um. Yeah. Um, why am I blanking out? Alberta is basically Canadian Texas in the in the Exa most. Yeah. 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 In, and Ethan, you live in Las Vegas. I live in Las, near Vegas. Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's its own special thing. I've only been there once. And oh, it's a very while special thing. I did walk thing. a lot. <laughs> um, it has its own quirks, especially once you get outside the strip. That was uh, yeah. that was a real opening eye moment for the first time for me. Um, just walking around a city yeah. uh, in the States. Like I had a similar experience when I was in Richmond, California recently as well. It felt exactly the same as it did in Las Vegas, but I actually live in Vancouver, BC, which is known to be probably one of the best urbanist cities mm -hmm. in North America um, outside of, I don't know, maybe Toronto, Montreal, New York City, yeah. Chicago, even San Francisco. Um, so I'm very fortunate to have that opportunity, but um, the one thing I do like to ride is the trains here, the sky trains, mm -hmm. which is our one mm -hmm. part of our public transit. And we're getting a, an extension, but I'm not going to talk about that today because uh, I'll start going off in all directions and we don't need to. We'll <laughs> add that to next week's far. agenda. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ethan, do you want to... What's, ne what's next on the docket? We've got uh, Ethan's, uh, this Reddit post here. Ethan didn't make the oh, Reddit post. Oh, we're covering post, the Reddit but, post next. Okay. But, uh, he's in charge of covering it. Oh, so I'm covering it or you're covering it. Yeah. It's, Guys, got, your, it's got your name right thing is there. Still, Ethan. The whole logistics of this thing is still very much work in progress. Yeah. But um, that. yeah. Um, Nick, <laughs> I believe Nick, did you find the Reddit post? I did. I did come across this one. Nick browsing the wonderful subreddit of, I believe it was r slash fuck cars, if I'm correct. 
Uh, sure was. Our, lo- our lovely little friend subreddit r slash fuck cars has come up with this beautiful post. We'll probably have to put the image in later, but actually I may be able to screen share. Give me one second here. Yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're breaking new ground here. Breaking but new it's ground. Essentially, it essentially says um, what 95% of truck owners could go with. Um, oh my gosh, where is that link? But essentially... <laughs> 90, I believe in oh you, Ethan. God. You'll find it. You'll find it. Trust me, it'll it'll take us about 20 days. Oh, here it is. Oh, it was put up conveniently right into the thing. Yeah, it's it's right in the spot where you're supposed to be. I know, I'm being, I'm being very silly here today. <laughs> I'm being, we're being very silly today, <laughs> but, uh, are we showing the screen? I don't, I, I don't see it. Uh, if you want, I can, uh, here, I can here, share I got it. it. I got it. You I got, got it. it. Okay. I, they <laughs> make it so easy and I'm being, and I'm being so difficult for them. There we go. There it is. All right. So we have this beautiful post here from user. Wait, I can't actually even see the user. It might just be independent my cow 4070. Okay, beautiful. We've credited it. But the caption reads, I have designed the perfect F-150 for 95% of buyers of the F-150. And it is essentially an F-150 with the entire truck or the entire bed of the truck photoshopped out for any yeah, of those who are listening purely by audio. It looks yeah. like uh, what was that Hummer? Was it the H3 that had like the tiniest, tiniest little bed in the back, just like the littlest opening back there. Uh, it was like, it's essentially a Jeep it's with a just Honda a Ridge bigger line. front end. <laughs> yeah. A Honda. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it looks a lot like a Honda Ridgeline. <laughs> yeah, totally. But um, no, that's totally true. But yeah, yeah, I mean, like it really does show that like truck users really don't use most of their, I mean, most truck users out on the road do not justify the vehicle that they are owning. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I want to set up a camera and actually investigate that, like set up a camera at an intersection because so you go in this F-150 subreddit where it was originally posted and the comments just go off. Right. And people are talking about how much they actually use their truck beds compared to what other people are saying they do. And it, pretty high numbers. They're saying like above 10 percent of the time there's actually a use for that truck bed, not even like that it's full or anything, but they actually use it. And I'm wondering if you set up a camera at an intersection and then count all the pickup trucks that go by, mm-hmm. what percentage of them actually have a load in there? And then what percentage of them actually have a load in there that would actually require a pickup truck to haul it? Yeah. Yeah. We're going so, under 1%. So yeah. I, like I, the, the top comment here says, I realize the hive, the Reddit hive mind thinks that most pickups don't get used as much, but I doubt owners are getting followed around and having the bed inspected for contents, which is what Nick is planning to do. After having the truck again for the last three years, I'll never be without one again. There's lots of stuff that either won't fit or you don't want in your trunk. And yeah, my bed cover hides most of it. So you're never going to know, which I get. We're we're not saying that there's no use for a truck, right? I've uh, I've got family that has trucks that use it for work or use it for uh, hauling things, right? There are absolutely people who have it, but a lot of truck drivers don't don't need the truck, right? And it's kind of used as this, well, what if I live in a winter wonderland where I've, I want to be higher up, I want to see a little bit more of the road ahead of me, it's got more power, it's, you know, stronger, right? When, when they sell you trucks, they talk about the road presence, right? And, and the power behind it and how cool and awesome you look. And I get it. 
I get it. I, I like driving trucks too, but, uh, but as far as using the bed and, and as far as having a useful bed, right? How, how, how much smaller the beds have gotten over the years. Uh, cause it has become less about being able to haul things and more about the comfort of a cab where it's big. You've got lots of leg room. I don't know if you've been in any of like the new trucks with the King cabs and stuff, dude, that those are nice seats. You can stretch your oh. legs all the way up. <laughs> oh yeah. I've, yeah. my, my wife loves pickup trucks. She grew up in the country and like farm, farm family. Right. So she has that nostalgic thing for pickup trucks. And one time a few years ago, I actually rented one for her birthday to take her to a drive-in movie theater and stuff. And she loved it. And it, it is, it's like a rolling, like living room yeah. inside the cab. It's massive and it's comfortable and they are fun to drive. Yeah. I'm like not putting that down. Guns are also fun to shoot. Right. But <laughs> that's the thing. Like they also have a lot of externalities that simply are untenable in an urban space, in my opinion. Well, and the utility of it, right? Well, clearly, Nick, that just makes you a godless communist for hating these beautiful pieces of American (laughs) machinery. Maybe I am. Maybe maybe I am. No, but (laughs) it's it's also funny, too. You'll also hear the argument that, you know, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the times people will use the, I need to haul stuff. But in a lot of cases, utility vans can take over as a better use case than a truck. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. A hundred percent. As you can see by these boxes behind me, if you're watching the video on YouTube, I just moved and I didn't use a truck. In fact, I mostly used my great aunt's Buick because the seats laid down flat and I could slide everything that I needed right into it. It fit the whole single bed all the way down for the length of the vehicle. Whereas if I had used my dad's truck or another friend's truck, it's not, it's not that long. I didn't even, I didn't have to take apart my table, which is funny because when I picked up the table, I went with my friend who has a truck, a nice truck, I might add, but I had to take it apart because it wouldn't fit in the bed, uh, put together. So, uh, you know, I, there are obviously like, you don't want to put rocks in the back of your car, in the back of your SUV, right? Uh, there, there are obviously uses for it, but I think most truck, uh, truck users, uh, maybe don't need it for their day to day. Some do, some don't. Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, I, I'm going to do that experiment. I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. I'm going to get the numbers. Beautiful. <laughs> it, it will be. All right. I will. I will always argue the utility van is better, but you know, that's, that's just my opinion it's, there. It just doesn't have that aggressive presence in the street. So it's yeah, true. I mean, you know, like, you know, you it. only get a, you only get a covered interior with the reinforcing that truck beds usually have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't describe a sprinter as scary though. It's kind of like, yeah, no, I need to, yeah, yeah, I no. need to make everybody <laughs> know that I have a Punisher sticker on the back window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So next up, we want to talk about the title of this podcast, uh, where it comes from, and why, I mean, why, why we chose Radio Free Urbanism. Most people, uh, we, we did an Instagram post and all of the comments are like, what do you mean Radio Free Urbanism? Uh, do you mean like funded by the CIA? And well, yes, we are funded by the CIA. That has less to do with, uh, with our title uh, thanks to the CIA. Could you imagine if the CIA was funding us? Man. Yeah. Could you I, imagine if we were actually getting funded by the CIA and not the RCMP? I mean, like, that'd be crazy. 
<laughs> Could you imagine yeah. if we were actually being funded? Uh, we're only 33% <laughs> funded by the CAA. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's, it's true. But uh, yeah, we, we made this post talking about, or not even talking about it. We just posted the, the title. We just announced the podcast. Yeah. And immediately, immediately it was like conspiracy theories and, and maybe, maybe even like a little bit of, uh, offense because I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the United States of America does not have the greatest reputation for its interference in other countries. And the kind of radio free has a little bit of history in that specifically in the providing information. Nick, do you want to expand on, on that a little bit on the history of kind of the radio free title? Well, yeah, I think, uh, well, I got to start off with where the name originally came from, why it was in our Google Doc. Um, and the reason why is it something reminded me of a show that I used to watch when I was a teenager called Radio Free Roscoe, which is a Canadian TV show yeah, about teenagers that. who lived in New Jersey um, who created a, a pirate radio, essentially, to have a place to speak their minds because the school radio station was, you know, just just spouting the regular agenda of the school and conformity, et cetera, et cetera. Also, I remember hearing it from StarCraft. There was, uh, I think there was like secret tracks called Radio Free Zerg or something like that. Um, it's been used in many places, but to what Alex was talking about, um, it was used quite extensively. Radio Free Europe was used quite extensively in Europe when communism was huge. Germany was split down the middle um, to actually get messages out there to the Eastern Bloc and was a big, important piece to actually giving freedom to those countries that we have now. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll add not even just giving freedom, but providing information, right? Yeah. When you live in a place that is very, and this is where we get into the urbanism part of it, where you live in a place where the the dominant narrative is so intense and so ingrained and almost force-fed to people, right? How often in North America do you hear people say, well, but we were just built around the car, but that's just how we get around Everyone here wants to drive a car. Everyone here needs a car because they want a car. And cars are so freedom. Cars are freedom, right? And so what we're talking about is giving some additional information, talking about other things, talking about trains getting funded, talking about the benefits of urbanism, of better built cities, of building for everybody, of building for people who are walking, people who are in wheelchairs, people who are riding bikes, people who are getting around by car, a variety of transportation modes and options, which have been ignored by, you know, quote unquote, mainstream media, we're trying to add some, add some additional information. And the radio, the podcasts, it's harder to, to block. And we're trying to get that information out there to people. And we see it a lot of information uh, becoming more available to people as there are more urbanist YouTube channels, more urbanist podcasts. And so we want to be a part of that. And uh, yeah, the radio free is part of that access of getting people the information that uh, uh, more information, you know? Yeah. Yeah. More, especially in, I think the idea of this podcast in general, on top of that, you know, being a place where we can speak freely about these things. And I think when I originally pitched it to you guys, I said I wanted it to be the fuck cars of, of urbanist podcasts in a sense where not necessarily it's always going to be memes and it's 
nothing but like if, if there's cars in the city, it's no good. We need car free mm-hmm. or nothing. It's not about that. Um, but just just a place where we can speak our mind and where listeners can speak their mind, too. We want people to actually reach out um, and have if you have questions for us, please reach out. What's our Gmail? Is it just Radio Free it Urbanism? Radio at Free Urbanism at gmail.com. Yeah, you can reach out to us there if you want to if you have a question or you have a comment about the show and we'd love to to answer them. Uh, or, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, the first ones we had was just about the name of the show, which is totally fine because we were going to talk about it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> also, if you want to send in things that are going on in your area, I particularly really like looking at renderings of things and being like, wow, that's going to be so cool. I can't wait for that to be built. If you have something particular about uh, the goings on in your area, you could become like a correspondent for radio free urbanism and, uh, and send us, send us some stuff going on there. Cause like I follow really closely the things happening in Calgary. I like to keep up with things happening locally and I'm sure you guys are, are quite similar. Although Ethan, you've, you managed to keep up with everything. I'm really impressed. I try. Like a, I try. A it's, it's, it's hard, but there are like, especially smaller cities. Uh, it's really, it's really hard to find stuff on like, smaller cities that may be dabbling into their first bike lane project mm-hmm. or their first bus lane rapid bus line. And it's really interesting to get news on that from, you know, smaller cities or cities that are generally more car dependent on how they're improving their walkability, their, you know, city planning. Yeah. Yeah. But if anybody has stuff from smaller cities, literally any size city, stuff that's going on in your area, send it in. We love to talk about talk about that sort of thing. And uh, if that's all that we've got to say about the title of the show, then I think I'll pass it off to Nick here for uh, some woogmug, as we call it. Yes. What grinds I have to talk about my something. gears. <laughs> well, yeah, something that <laughs> grinds my gears. Um, this is something I think we should do every week, but I have a list of things that grind my gears about mostly cycling, scootering, micromobility in general. And this one happened to me recently. What grinds my gears is the must get in front of syndrome. And you may have experienced it. It's when you're riding your bike, your scooter or whatever. And no matter what is ahead of you, a car, sorry, a person driving a car behind you has to get in front of you. No matter what's in front of you, you could be just coming up to a stop sign. There could be a giant row of stopped cars. It's when a car comes zipping by way too fast and way too close for no reason, for no gain whatsoever. They just get stopped by the traffic and you have to pass them again. And it's really annoying. So I had a, I've had it happen so many times, like countless, obviously, but one time it happened just recently, about two weeks ago. And it was so egregious that I had to write it down. And I think that's what gave me the idea to do this wug mug section in the show. So I was driving, or sorry, riding home from work on my electric scooter, as I often do when the weather's poor. And as I was about to turn onto a quote unquote bike route, which are supposed to be traffic calmed streets for cyclists to get through the city. Um, I saw a car on my right. It was way far away. So I just turned left onto the street. Um, It's a 30 kilometer street. And I just kept driving about 30, 35 on my scooter just to keep a safe distance because I don't, any passing that happens is just not a good idea in general. Anyways, behind me, I started hearing an engine roaring. So I was like, okay, this person wants to obviously pass me. So I just pulled over to the side of the road as close as I could. They flew past me. They had to be going at least 60. Um, and as they did, it looked like an old Jimmy. And I don't know if the mm-hmm. Americans know what a Jimmy is. I think that's a strictly Canadian model from GMC. Do you know what a Jimmy is? Ethan? Describe it. <laughs> it's essentially <laughs> a GMC truck, four-door truck, I believe, a two- or four-door truck, 
probably with like a V6 engine or something. Oh, and they're like, old. I don't know if they still make them anymore. Oh, they do. It was they old. Do. Okay. It oh, was all rusted I mean, out. At least they make something like it. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. It was rusted out. And I wear a motorcycle helmet when it's the weather's poor. And my helmet filled up with exhaust. And I'm just like, no, thank you. So I just turned off because the, the road split in a fork. I turned off in a different direction, um, which going that direction, I encountered a series of these pseudo traffic circles that we have in a lot of our neighborhoods in Vancouver, which if you're on a scooter or a bike, going downhill is very fast to get through. The other bike route has a bunch of stop signs. So I kept going, went around, got back on the bike route. Lo and behold, the same driver was behind me, hmm. did the same thing again. So uh, I tried to keep my distance because I didn't want to be sucking in all this exhaust. And eventually I caught up to them because they got stuck in traffic at a stop sign. And I passed, as I was passing them, this young woman opens the door, glares at me as if I did something to her for <laughs> catching up. And I'm just like, I just waved. I said, just waved. I didn't say anything. I just waved and went by and went on my way down the bike path with her in my rearview mirror. And I was really satisfied when that yeah, happened. Yeah, it yeah. really was. <laughs> um, but it, more than this, just grinding my gears, I'd love for people to know that what they're doing is not only aggressive, it's 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 actually scary. Yeah. I'm a 33-year-old man, and it scares me when I hear an engine roaring beside me, not knowing what's going to come next. Yeah. Am I going to get smashed out of the road? Are you going to clip my handlebars, and I'm going to go head over heels? Like, yeah. it, it is scary, and it is dangerous, yeah. and people die from it. Yeah. I just want people to be be safer, especially when it's on a bike route. It's a 30-kilometer-hour street. Like, slow down, please. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I've got stories like, I mean, I, I, for anybody who knows, I used to live in a small Florida town called St. Augustine and it, it was settled in like the 1500s. A lot of walkable streets downtown. As soon as you get out of it, Strodes, Strodes, as far as the eye can see, pure car dependency. But I did a three mile bike commute every day there. And man, I got, I got punished, punishment passed by people going over a double lot or a double yellow line. On a, I know you guys do kilometers per hour, but on mm -hmm. a 25 mile an hour street, which I believe translates to about like 35 kilometers. 35, 40, yeah, yeah around yeah, there. Around there. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it it sucks. I, I literally, I'm not even going to lie here. I was going 26 and a 25 and somehow always getting front syndrome. F-350 yep. pulling a trailer decides to go 40 over a double yellow to pass me. Yeah. Yeah. Which and is scary. incredibly dangerous because mm -hmm. it's a double yellow. It's fully illegal move they pulled. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think to something when, when you're driving a car, I mean, anybody who's driving a car, no matter how much of an urbanist you are, you have felt the, you know, must get in front, right? You've felt the annoyance of sitting behind a cyclist because I've got all this power in my vehicle and I want to get in front. I want to move ahead. Of course. But I think what's important to remember, and I've mentioned this to people who've talked to me about this, is as annoyed as you are, times that by 10, but turn that into fear for the cyclist. Turn that into fear for, for the person on the scooter. And they say, well, they shouldn't be on the road. Well, you know what? I agree. I agree that cyclists and people with e-scooters should not be on the road. But that's, that's the infrastructure that we have. That's the place that we need to be. According to the law, you can get fines. Otherwise, in most places in North America, you can get fines if you're riding on the sidewalk. And so I just think it's really important. If you have an issue with that, 
you can become an advocate for cyclist infrastructure. Kick us off the road. Get us off the road. It'll free up space. It'll free up your speed. And maybe some other people will also say, you know what? I'd like to ride my bike to work. I'd like to ride my scooter to work. Maybe I'll do it that way instead and use this infrastructure that we have now, freeing up even more space on the road for you. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the best advocates for cycling infrastructure can and should be people who love driving, people who really enjoy their time on the road. Kick us off. Get me off the road. I don't want to be there. And, And neither do many other people. Now, what we mean by that is obviously protected bike lanes, not mm-hmm. just sidewalk. Yeah. 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 This is something I actually talked about with somebody recently this past weekend, a friend of mine who is definitely more on the car brain spectrum. And we were having a discussion about this and he was complaining about so many cyclists or sorry, so few cyclists in the bike lane, he'd be stuck in traffic and to be four cyclists go by while there's dozens of cars stuck in traffic. And I took that opportunity to bring up the subject of disentangling, which is essentially that where you do have dedicated thoroughfares for cyclists and dedicated thoroughfares for for drivers in cars as to just separate us from each other, have less interactions, mm-hmm. makes it safer and makes it faster for everybody. Yeah. And also more yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and faster for everybody, uh, not just on an individual level, but as a whole, you can transport a lot more people if you have that separated infrastructure. And- mm-hmm people will be happier because they're not having to have these dangerous and or uncomfortable interactions. It's the same reason why cyclists aren't allowed to ride on the sidewalk. Because when I'm walking as a pedestrian, I hate it when people ride by me, especially if they don't ding their bell, let me know that they're they're coming by, right? It's uncomfortable. Somebody whizzes past you. Now, if somebody on a bicycle hit me while I'm walking, I'll probably leave with a few bumps and scrapes. If I'm riding a bicycle and somebody hits me in a car, I might just die, right? Like it's like, guys, it is, it is not, it is not equal, uh, but we should have that separated infrastructure to, to help us all get around. We all want to get around the city, right? Yeah. Everybody wants the same thing in so many subjects in urbanism or all that, you know, it's just, everybody wants the same thing and we don't realize it. Like obviously traffic calming is a big one. It's like, do you want more traffic or less traffic in your neighborhood? And everybody says, I'd like less, please. Yeah. It just so happens that some people who cause a lot more traffic in the other people's neighborhoods aren't a fan of it when they have to worry about traffic calming when they mm-hmm. go to the places they want to be. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just amazing, like, a lot of the times, because there are studies out there that show that driving slower actually does reduce traffic and that, mm-hmm. you know, most car trips are underneath, like, five miles. Yeah. More than half. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's actually closer to like two thirds, if I'm not mistaken, but I'd, I'd have is, to pull up the data again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which is bananas. Like that's, that's crazy. Those are all trips that can very easily be done by, by bicycle. If you're able-bodied and a lot of people mention that they say, well, what if I'm not capable of riding bicycle? Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of people aren't, then don't, you know, that's why we need these options, right? We need a variety of ways to We also have transit too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anything else to add for this? Just chill, just chill. Just chill. If you're in a car, just, just you know, take a breath. You don't have to pass the cyclist or scooter, especially if they're on a scooter. Yeah. And you know, like you can see them going quickly. Like, <laughs> yeah. come on, they're already breaking the speed limit. I was, I was speeding. I was breaking the law. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to like go blasting past me. Yeah. And I, I will 
add as well, uh, most drivers I have found are very respectful. They, they get it. They, they're aware and they, they're respectful. They might be annoyed, but they don't do anything dangerous. But the problem is, is that it only takes one driver doing something dangerous for somebody to die. That's, yeah. that's it. And, and so as, as much as you might not be part of the problem, uh, you can be part of the solution. Uh, which leads us to our next conversation point. Five things you can do to be part of the solution. And the number one thing I have on here is email your city councilor or your alderman, whatever you call it in your area. Talk to them. Talk about talk to your representatives about what you would like to see in your area. Have either of you guys ever contacted your city councilor, maybe had successes, maybe disappointments? What are your, um, I did recently actually. So I had published a video that had nobody seemed to have watched. It doesn't, (laughs) it seems the videos I do the least amount of work on get the most views. Um, I spent so much time on this video and it was about speed cameras in the city. And before I actually decided to make the video, I was following this case about speed cameras in Vancouver, where uh, one of our city councilors who is very much pro cycling, pro transit, pro urbanism, um, She's in there alone because most of the other counselors are part of a more conservative party. Um, So she tabled a motion to add more speed and red light cameras in the city. We already have them in the city. We have something like 40 something, I believe, and to add more. And the crux of it was to use the money generated by those speed and red light cameras to invest in the spaces where they inhabit to fix the problem at the root to slow traffic, to help reduce the amount of people running red lights. And that was the idea so that it wasn't a cash cow for the city. All that money would essentially work to create less money because Mm -hmm. by the time you implement all these things, you no longer need the speed cameras and the red light cameras. And I wrote to every other counselor. I wrote a huge long thing just to, just to have my voice in there. Did they read it? I doubt any of them read it because they probably got a bunch of other emails from other people, but yeah. I did reach out and it didn't succeed because the council decided that they were just going to do more studies as they do. Mm -hmm. That's our current Mm -hmm. plan in Vancouver. Just study more. And then once they've studied, they're like, yeah, that's a good idea, but we don't have money. Oh, well, if you implement the cameras, you'd have the money. Oh God. Anyway. Yeah. um, I can't, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No study. That'll have to eventually be a a good, um, segment on the on the podcast in the future but i actually did reach out to my local um local alderman here about um implementing some um what why am i blanking on the word um some traffic calming measures just on some of the streets around here some of the side streets because you know i I can show you a picture outside my window and the street in front of my house is probably about 50 feet wide which is insane for a residential street Basically, if you were to turn the parking into actual driving lanes, you could probably have about five lanes. Um, wow. But I wrote into them, or not wrote, but they had this meeting, essentially, where my alderman just essentially holds like a talking with his constituents at a local coffee shop. He does this about once a month. But um, I brought the topic of traffic calming up to him about possibly doing it for some of the residential streets around the city. And I was told that this was unfeasible purely because of emergency vehicles. No raised crosswalks, right. no, no, you know, traffic circles, nothing like that. No chicanes because, you know, an ambulance may need to get in there. And that also brings up the possibility of a future topic on this podcast of emergency vehicles just being too big in North America. But, you know, 
it's just it's it is disappointing to hear that but you know it is always good to kind of get your word into them and that will not be the last time that i talk about traffic calming to them yeah and and it shouldn't be right i i think we have to keep you have to keep talking to them about it because uh it kind of depends where you are but where you are you know they might say well for every email i get i'm assuming a thousand people have the same opinion right they they kind of extrapolate that out they say well, 80% of the emails I've gotten have been against this proposal. And that's why it's really important. Don't rely on other people to send in your opinion for you, right? You don't, you don't have to be specific. You don't have to have any knowledge about it. You're somebody who lives in your city. You're somebody who has an experience on your street. You should go to your counselor and just say, hey, you know what? I would really like to have a safer street. And this is how I think we could do that. I would really like to be able to get to such and such location. Recently, the city of Calgary, the city of Calgary, where I live, has some pretty good engagement tools on on the website for projects. And one of them, you can map out where you want to go, where you do go, and how you get there versus how you would like to get there. So you actually have the opportunity to go online and tell the city, this is where I work. This is where I play. These are where my friends are. And these are the problems I have getting to those places. And I've mentioned particulars, like I had to change my work schedule because the bus doesn't run as late in this particular area. The other buses run later, but this one for some reason doesn't. And that's a problem for me. Uh, Mentioning things like that help. Uh, Other things that I think we can do today is changing our language, be being a part of the group rather than separate from the group that's in control. So something I've done personally is start saying we, when we talk about the high-speed rail between Calgary and Edmonton, I say, we should do that, not, oh, they should do that. It's not the government's responsibility. It's me and everybody else's responsibility. This is something we can do. Uh, Have you guys, do you guys have any other language things that you say that kind of changes your thinking? Let's go, go, Ethan. So um, you'll often hear the term car accidents used when mm-hmm. it's describing, you know, an auto wreck. But mm-hmm. really, the term should be traffic violence because that it really just is a better phrasing because it's not it's not an accident. Let's be honest. It's rarely ever an accident. It, it is traffic violence. And we see it every single day in North America, hundreds of times over across the country. Yeah. That's absolutely true. I've tried to train change that in my vernacular. Sometimes it's hard to change an old it habit. Is. Yeah. Um, but another one that I've also been trying to change in that respect is something I heard from Chuck Marone from Strong Towns talking about this in the way that we talk about different people in their journeys. Hmm. So instead of saying drivers, you say people driving cars. You might have noticed in this podcast, I corrected myself when I said driver, I tried to correct myself to people driving cars because we're all just people. Somebody who drives a car is also a pedestrian for at least a portion of their day. Yeah. They're not always mm-hmm. driving a car. Yeah. They have to at least get to their car unless they just get into their garage and then have another garage. Either way, right? <laughs> we're just people. We're all people in a community. Yeah. And that's what we want to do yeah. is come together to make a better community for everybody. This is not about punishing drivers yeah. or any particular mode of transportation. It's about having a more livable city. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's a people first priority, right? You're, you're talking yeah. about, cause people will call me a cyclist. Most of, most of the time I use transit to get around. I've been tracking how I get around and, and most often it's been transit because uh, in particular instances, 
that has been most convenient for me. I'm not a cyclist. I'm not a driver. I'm primarily a pedestrian. I'm a person who walks to get to my destination. And along the way, I might use additional tools to, yeah. to get there. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the bottom line. I'll do multimodal travel. Sometimes the bus has bike racks on it. So I'll pull down the bike rack and throw my bike on, hop on the bus until I get to the part where it's more convenient to ride my bike rather than wait for the next bus. Uh, it's, it's where, where people getting around a city and trying to make our city better. And that's why it's really important to involve everybody and not, uh, not label people as, as the other where we all live here. Right. Um, another one that I have is three one one. Have you guys ever used three one one? Yes. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you have an app for the for it that yeah. that you use? And how how have you found that? Has it has it been successful at all? I had some success. Um, I've only ever used it for noise complaints, chronic mm. noise complaints, not yeah. like one offs or anything. And the first time I tried to use it, it got nowhere. I tried for months, and they ne- never did anything. Um, but I know I had another problem just about a year ago with a garbage truck coming at like two three a.m. in the morning, right mm. by my building, waking me up like twice a week. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it got resolved after about a month. Yeah. What about you, Ethan? Um, currently I haven't had any major three one one complaints. I just know that it's there and yeah, I, I really haven't had that issue so far. So yeah. To use yeah it. It, so I, I downloaded the app this year. I was like, okay, well I've heard people talk about three one one, which three one one for people who don't know, cause I, I imagine a lot of people don't know, don't think about it. It's a way to report issues to your city. And then they're able to kind of divvy that out to whatever organization within the city is meant to take care of that issue. So in my 311 app for the city of Calgary, I'm able to go through, scroll through a list of options. There's bus shelter concerns. There's issues with taxis, potholes. You can report all sorts of stuff through 311. And the other day, actually, I had a success with it. I was at a bus stop and the there was a garbage uh, that was overflowing. There was a dead squirrel hanging out of the garbage and there were five shopping carts filled with junk sitting around this bus stop. And it wasn't, it wasn't in a particularly busy area, but for some reason, this bus stop had just gotten disgusting. And so I sent in through the 311 app and the next day when I was passing by, there was a city of Calgary truck there cleaning things up getting things neat and tidy and getting rid of all the junk that had cluttered up this stop. And so it's a way that you can do little things here and there to, to make your community a better place and just report issues. I've seen tons of potholes. You, you ride over so many potholes every single day. If, if you're biking, if you're walking, not usually if you're walking, pedestrian <laughs> infrastructure is pretty, uh, pre- pretty good. Uh, and it lasts if you're on a scooter, time. you're dead if but you hit if a pothole. So if you're on a scooter and you hit a pothole, you are, you are done. That's you're a, done uh, we, we can talk about pros and cons of different mobility options later, but potholes and scooters do not mix. No. Well. no. Uh, but how many times have you driven over a pothole and you say, oh, the, the roads in this city, right? You can report that to 311. You can do something about that. And I, in my experience, they've been pretty good uh, about fixing that sort of thing. Okay, that's so, a good call. That is. I, I feel shamed because on my ride to work every day, I pass by a nasty pothole. I know exactly where it is. I know how to avoid it. But yesterday I was riding, or sorry, two days ago I was riding home and it rained 
real bad. Like yeah. we had the atmospheric river, as they call it now. Mm. Um, and I was like, I don't know where it is. It's covered in a puddle. <laughs> so I like <laughs> went way out of the way. So now, yeah, good call. I need to, I need to call yeah, that I need for a, sure. Yeah. I need to report some uh, bus stations here in Vegas. They, um, some of them just don't get that regular maintenance that they should. Yeah. Yeah. But there, there's a way that you can kind of take some of that power and, and do something about it. Another thing I wanted to mention that we can do is tactical urbanism, which sounds very like intense, like a SWAT team going out and forcing traffic calming measures. But that's not really what it is. Most of it, it might involve paint. It might involve flowers. It's, it's pretty simple stuff. Uh, there was some tactical urbanism I saw on my way to work. Somebody, because of a particular road, that was that's very busy very filled with cars it's always occupied and there there is enough room on the right of way to have cycling infrastructure proper cycling infrastructure but it's not there uh and so i saw as i was walking one time somebody had taken a bicycle stencil and they had painted on the sidewalk saying bike here just buy just bike here we know it's illegal we know it's against the rules to cycle here but bike here because you're safer here than on the road, right? Um, and so that's an example of tactical urbanism. You'll also see flower pots, you know, you'll see some people put a bench in their front yard. You know, uh, I'd even put the those little free libraries in the category of tactical mm-hmm. urbanism. It's just something small that you can you can do yourself to make your community a better place. I like that. So the distinction there, because a lot of people when they hear tactical urbanism, they think of people. They think of guerrilla uh, urbanism. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Guerrilla urbanism. You know, if someone's parked illegally, like putting Mm. air out of their tires and stuff like that. Okay, right. Fair enough. I had it wrong. Isn't cool. Don't no. I mean, don't abuse people's property. Leave a friendly note. I do want to say tactical urbanism also does fall into a legal gray area. So we, Mm -hmm. as a podcast, officially cannot fully condone it but if you go into you know non-illegal ways to help the urbanism in your community mm-hmm. we fully support on your private that. private property with permission exactly right, exactly right like put a bench on your on your property that's not yeah. illegal uh depending on your hoa i guess there <laughs> yeah. might be <laughs> check your local I don't, laws I don't, yeah. I don't know check your <laughs> local laws but <laughs> I, mean, I just you, needed to put that out there yeah, because there yeah. are things where like, you know, people put in bulb outs and stuff like that. And that's 100 percent illegal. And we cannot officially condone that as radio free urbanism. But you're you're our lawyer there, Ethan. At Thanks, least on uh, that one. I I've, 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 <laughs> I know I've talked to some of these people in the in the tactical side and they're, they're great people. But, you know, I just officially cannot condone their actions. Yeah. 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 I. I concur. Okay. Uh, and the the last thing that I think we can do is have conversations, talk about it with people, bring it up. Uh, and, and you might see, you, you might get somewhere. I have an example before I pass this one off to Nick, because he's got some stuff to say about this. I know. I have a, a good example. My sister recently went to Gatlinburg for American Thanksgiving. And while she was there, she was talking about how car infested it is, how busy it is with cars and how frustrated she was. And her husband said to her, yeah, you've been talking to Alex a little, a little too much about this. You can have these conversations. People will start to see things. People will start to notice. Uh, and, and you might be able to change some perspectives or not even change perspectives, but broaden perspectives, right? They might think a little bit wider 
about who lives in their city and and how the the built environment can affect them. Now, Nick, I know you've got some stuff to bring up about this, so I'll pass that off to you. Yeah, so I had recently listened to an episode of Bike Talk called Wheels Up. I think it's still their most recent as of today, December 6th. And essentially, they had a segment within the show, and it was the author of the OC Register article, Sorry, Urbanists, but Bicycles Will Never Save the Planet. And that was Stephen Greenhut who wrote that, which I understand is potentially a conservative uh, news news outlet, as far as I know. But he explains his perspective to Streets Blog, LA editor Joe Linton, and Bike Talk co-host Taylor Nichols. And Stephen's position is that of someone, at least in my opinion, who hasn't done the research, like actually looked into the numbers of what he's arguing. And he is arguing that the free market should decide how we invest our transit system into our transit system and what kind of where we should spend our dollars, whether it's on driving, bike lanes, etc. And he uses opinions and anecdotes as the basis for his arguments and ending the conversation with a call for cycling advocates to stop judging people for making the choice of driving a car. And at that point, Taylor expertly brings up the point that he'll stop judging people for driving cars when 40,000 people aren't being killed in cars or by cars every single year in North in America. And to which Steven says, fair enough. Cause what do you like? What do you say to that? Um, but I think you should really listen to this article, even if you're not really into cycling in that, in that um, because not only Taylor, one of the hosts of the the show, also the, the guest that had Joe Linton from streets blog LA were incredible at just talking to someone. They weren't, mean about it. They were fair. And they just came back with actual data, actual examples of why the opinions that Stephen was spouting were incorrect, just simply incorrect. Not even like, oh, you can have an opinion about that, but you're just, you're either making a straw man and bringing up the most crazy use case that why this won't work as opposed to the actual data. And that's what they brought to the table. And it was amazing because at first they let Steven talk and I was about to explode. I'm like, what is this? Like, this is bike talk. Who is this guy? But they were experts. It was incredible listening to them just rebut everything that Steven was saying. It was incredible. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. And I think it's great that they were able to have that conversation uh, with somebody who they obviously disagreed with, right? Yeah. Uh, but But letting them speak is a big, big part of it. Yeah. And back to what you were saying about the, we talking about the, we, Mm -hmm. and also kind of tying in what I was talking about with my friend this past weekend about this disentanglement. I kept bringing up the points that would help him out, you know, talking about disentangling like they have in the Netherlands. I said, this is something that creates the happiest, most content drivers in the world. This isn't something to say, to make driving, driving worse. It's something to actually help everybody, actually help everybody and point out the positives that we can all get from them. And that's again, like what I saw in this podcast, it was, it was expert. Definitely check it out. That's bike talk wheels up. Nice. It is. um, It is interesting though. A lot of the times when you're just talking to people about urbanism, I mean, I talk to a lot of people who, you know, are coming into my comments all the time because, you know, I'm posting on social medias like Instagram and TikTok. I'm talking to people who, you know, may have not have been exposed to urbanism or city planning before ever, or may even have a more hostile view on, you know, urbanism and getting rid of car dependency. But you often have to come at people not, you know, with a hostile tone, but you have to, yeah, like you guys said before, you have to come at it, you know, neutral, kind of analytical. Obviously, you can have a little bit of emotion, but you can't make it, you know, 
you can't be completely hostile to them. I mean, you have to be inviting about making urbanism just because, I mean, urbanism overall is just a very friendly ideology. I mean, it's essentially making cities better for people who live in them. That, yeah. That's my distilled definition of urbanism. But I mean, realistically, that's not what I heard on Facebook. These oh, fifteen not, minute cities are oh, here to yeah, control sorry. us. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be throwing you in the uh, fifteen minute city camp. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that'll have to be another topic for another time too. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. absolutely. That we have a long list. Yes, we do. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. mean, it's 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 just, and most people most people are accepting of the ideology. I mean. But I, I will say nine times out of ten, you get someone with a car profile picture commenting in your comments. They're going to be. Uh... OK, I have a question for Ethan, because I'm I've never been like a shorts person. This is something so yeah. new to me. And after talking to you, I'm definitely going to try to post more of them um, when you post them on Instagram. I'm new to this, so I don't know if a lot of people haven't tried this before. But when you post a reel, it gives you options to choose three topics. Right. And under transportation, that section. There's biking, but then there's cars, collectible cars, motorcycles, literally biking. And then everything else is cars. There's no buses. Yeah. There's no trains. There's no, So what do you click on? Generally, I, I I click on, you know, biking. I actually don't often get those topics to show up on my reels, surprisingly. Hmm. Yeah. But like, yeah, usually that... I'll click on biking, but I most of the time I actually don't use that, surprisingly. Okay. Yeah, because I was clicking on like call car, car culture and stuff like that because oh, it is when I'm, yeah, I'm talking right. about car, car culture, but I'm definitely pulling in people with opposing viewpoints, which is good for engagement at least. Oh, it's but, great um, for engagement, but you know, uh, yeah. your, your comments kind of, man, yeah. man, I've had some comment I, sections. It's hard not to be snarky and have a just a wicked comeback and it's so tempting. You're like, you're ready to smash the keyboard. You're just like, really I'm going to get it, this but, perfect ratio. Yeah, but yeah. I was like, nope, just be be civil, try to be nice, and just you know, give give your uh, your two cents back. I <laughs> I have a coworker who drives a Mustang, loves his car. You know, he is you know car is his profile picture type of guy. Um, but uh, but we have conversations. We have great conversations. We also make jokes, right? And maybe at some point I'll I'll share stuff from our conversations, what we talk about. Uh, but even he has been accessible to this stuff, right? Because I mentioned my experience and going back to feelings. I recently in, in one of my jobs, one of the things I do for work is I edit podcasts and in there, in one of the podcasts I edited last week. So it's not, it's not out yet, but they were interviewing uh, somebody who is a mediator. She's a negotiator and she's very good at her job. And she mentioned, she said, facts are feelings. When you're negotiating with somebody, when you're talking with somebody, facts are feelings like it or feelings are facts. I mean, feelings are facts. And that's, that's the bottom line. Cause that's, that's the way you feel about it. No matter what I say, mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change your mind about your personal experience, the way you feel when you're getting around your city. And so as much as we might want to be like, well, but look at the data, look at this, look at that, look at these numbers, look at this experience. You need to talk to the person about their experience and about where they're coming from and what they would like to see. So as nice as it, it would be to just be like, well, but it's better for the environment. You also need this person to feel like they're getting something out of it, right? Like that's the bottom line. And it doesn't make them a bad person to want to be benefited by whatever changes you're proposing or whatever it is you're talking about, that doesn't make them a bad person. 
that just makes them human. And you need, you need to talk about that and you need to acknowledge that mm-hmm. and, and make that a point in your conversation as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it makes me think of the subject of meditation and this is, it's on point, but it seems like it's off track. It should be treated as brushing your teeth. It's something you do. Cause I find when people are in tuned with themselves, they can talk about anything mm-hmm. and really be open to it. You know, even yeah. if yeah. at first it might be offensive to somebody, they can at least stomach it to have a productive conversation. Yeah. I mean, just the topic of urbanism of being like, yeah, cars shouldn't be, you know, your number one thing is often like a gut punch to a lot of people. Cause you know, living in North America, you don't know anything else unless you grew up in like New York city, San Francisco, Toronto, Montreal. Yeah. You're that's, that's life. Yeah. yeah. And, and it can be scary to think, boy, they expect me to get around without this. I don't know how to use transit. I don't know how to use use a bicycle. I When I first started riding my bike around, I, I got lost so many times because I couldn't tell if I was supposed to be on the road, if I was supposed to be on a multi-use pathway. Maybe there's a cycling route somewhere that I don't know that's parallel to this busy road that I really don't want to be on, right? Where Where am I supposed to go, right? And that's unclear, as well as I had a a coworker who she's an elderly woman and she recently got in a car crash. Somebody crashed into her and, and totaled her car. She has driven that car for almost 30 years. It's like, that's how she got around. And now she's saying, well, I don't know how to get around without my car now that it's gone. How do I do this? So she's spending all this money on taxis. And I say, Oh, well, like maybe I can show you how to use transit. Turns out she's a one seat ride away from work. It's about 20 minutes by transit. And I said, why, why on earth would you pay for a taxi when your transit ride is this easy, right? Mm-hmm. Especially being mm-hmm. a senior, you get a discounted bus pass too. Oh, and so yeah. I, I showed her how to, how to access this, how to use it, where the bus stop is, what she needs to do when she gets on the bus. But people aren't educated about that. They don't know how to do that. And so when you tell somebody you need to get rid of your car, that's terrifying. It's like, yeah, of Mm -hmm. course they're going to feel trapped. Of course they're going to feel like they're on lockdown. Totally. It's not coming from a place either. Cause like, for example, like I said earlier, I live in Vancouver. It's one of the best urbanist cities in North America. And I'm Mm -hmm. very privileged to have many options to get Mm -hmm. to work. I could even walk to work. It's five kilometers away. It would take a while, but I could get there, right? Yeah. But I have a bus. I can walk two blocks to get to the bus. It might take three times as long as taking a scooter or a bicycle, but I can get to work. Mm -hmm. And that's something we have to remember too. And a lot like what uh, Stephen Greenhut said in in this article, he's someone who lives in a rural place. He lives 12 kilometers, sorry, 12 miles from the nearest grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. Tell somebody like that to, to get on a bicycle. Like, yeah. When you're coming yeah. from that place, obviously you're going to be hostile to the whole idea of bicycles here to save the planet. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, oftentimes, like, yeah, I'll see people who live in rural areas come into comment sections, stuff like that. And yeah, you just have to, you have to bring up the idea that most urbanist concepts are applied to cities and you can even apply them to rural towns too. Mm-hmm. In, in some ways for sure. But you know, like I, I have family, I have family who are farmers, Right. Who, who have to navigate along these dirt roads and get to their property and haul their tractors and things like this, right? It's like, yeah, of course, I'm not talking about them getting on a scooter and, and scooting <laughs> to work, right? Like that doesn't work for them. And so I think it's really important 
that as we as we listen to things and as we consume content of all sorts, you need to remember maybe you're not the target audience for this, right? Maybe you're not, you know, right? When when I talk about building bike lanes, I'm not saying that we go out on Range Road 150 and put a bike lane down there, right? With protected infrastructure. It's a dirt road. It's a dirt road in the middle of nowhere to most people, at least, of course, the people who are there, you know, it's not there <laughs> nowhere, but that's, that's the thing is like, it's, it's context. Right. And, and so I think we personally need to remember our own context and we need to hopefully encourage people a little bit to remember their context. If it's not for you, it's not for you. I'm not telling you to get rid of your car. If you live in a city, though, you might consider it. But, you know, <laughs> I might consider it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, like if you live in Manhattan, I'm going to be like, why do you have a car? Yeah. Why would you? Why, why would you want? Like, that's a, a waste of money, a waste of time. But, hey, maybe <laughs> yeah. you're rich and you know what? Good for you. If you're Beyonce, you got a penthouse. Yeah, you're going to need a driver and you're going to need one of those giant black cars. I get it. But <laughs> yeah. uh, if you're just some regular guy working a job, I mean, no way. No yeah. way. Yeah. And, and so I do think the education is an important part of that, as well as allowing ourselves to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And Nick, Ethan, any more thoughts as we as we wrap up this little doodad we're doing here? Maybe we can use this end, end outro to do like a plug or something or talk about whatever we're doing. Right. How about that? I think yeah, that's a great I think idea. That works okay. great. I want to start, Nick. Well, I'm going to start. Um, as we were talking about Manhattan, uh, I was in in New York City back in June, and I've been sitting on a pile of footage, and I had intentions to make a video called Great Microcities, New York City, and it'd be the first in a series of the best microcities, not just in North America, but the world. Um, but when I went there and I biked a lot, I biked a lot, um, my mind wasn't made up that it was a quote-unquote great microcity. So this uh, next video I'm working on is is New York going to be the next great cycling city and uh, kind of highlight the things I loved about it and the things I think can be improved. Nick, Excellent. Uh, sorry, a little off topic here. Did you um, ever go over to New Jersey when you were in New York? No, I was strictly in the five boroughs of New York uh, city. Yeah. That might be an interesting place because I've heard really good things about their bike infrastructure, even more so than New York city, but okay. it is exciting to see your next video on that. Yeah. 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 Ethan, what are you working on? So I just, I, this, this sounds like complete climate arson and it kind of is. I actually took a day trip up to San Francisco via flying and uh, I got, I got to see some of the, some of the transit up there that I hadn't seen before. And I got to ride some familiar systems that I had ridden before from previous trips there. And at the moment I have my, you know, I, for all my viewers out there, you know, you've seen my tier list videos. I have one of those coming up. But in the next couple of weeks, I'm planning to make a video talking about how I feel about San Francisco and how its urbanism is. Nice. Wicked. I love it. And uh, for me, what do I have going on? I've got a couple of videos I'm working on. I've not put out something in a hot second, but I do have uh, a couple of videos filmed. I've just been in the process of moving, but uh, expect something hopefully Another thing in the next week and in the new year, I'm hoping to do weekly things. I'm organizing my schedule. I'm trying to get to it. But uh, in the meantime, I'm doing this, uh, which you can find us Radio Free Urbanism. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube, in your podcast player of choice. 
and uh, and by email, radiofreeurbanism at gmail.com. Send us some emails. Can't forget our Twitter either, at Radio Free Urbanism. Our, our X, at Radio Free <laughs> Urbanism. Find us everywhere. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with some more interesting things to say, or maybe uninteresting things to say. Either way, we'll be back. (laughs) This show is made possible by listeners like you. For more episodes, find us on your favorite podcatcher or on YouTube at Radio Free Urbanism.